I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. My hand will sustain him. Surely my arm will strengthen him. My faithful love will be with him and through my name, his horn will be exalted. I will set his hand over the sea, his right hand over the rivers. He will call out to me. You are my father, my God, the rock, my savior. And I will point him to be my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. I will maintain my love to him forever and my covenant with him will never fail. I will establish his line forever, his throne as long as the heavens endure. I will not take my love from him, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness. And I will not lie to David that his line will continue forever and his throne endure before me like the sun. It will be established forever like the moon, the faithful witness in the sky. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Let's sing joy to the world. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven.
together, we praise your name as the king that you are. We worship your name because of what you've done for us. You've given your son to be our sacrifice for our sins that we don't deserve, that we have forgiveness, grace, mercy, and hope in his name. And we have joy forever if we've accepted that gift. And as we lit the joy candle today, we wanna rejoice together in what that truth means for us. We are so grateful, we love you, we praise your name, amen. You may be seated. believe Christmas Eve is a week away. Which one are you going to? I don't know. We're not sure yet. We could do our Christmas Eve thing early and do the Saturday at 5 p.m. Or we are kind of thinking about going at our normal time on Sunday morning. We're 11 o'clockers. I'm not sure, um, but I love that we have morning times this year. It's so cool. What about you guys? Well, my husband really wants to go to that 11 p.m. in the chapel. Ooh, that one is so good. And Patrick Clinton's message is the same at all of them, so you won't miss anything, but you'll get that acoustic worship at that one. Oh, okay, so they're all the same? Yep, they're all identical. There's just a couple of the times that have some added bonus features. Summer. So hey, much. what's up? Is there anything offered for kids during the Christmas Eve gatherings? Oh yeah, so all of them are family friendly. But then during those morning times, they have childcare for zero to threes. And if anybody gets squirmy, just so that you know, I have snacks and kids activities down in the family room. You guys can slip out, there's a live feed, and you won't have to miss anything. Sounds good, thanks. Yeah. Good to see you guys. Bye. See ya. Summer, Summer, sorry to interrupt. I have a quick question. I have a neighbor I want to invite to the Valley Christmas Eve service, but they only speak Spanish. What do I do? Oh my goodness, that is so awesome. Okay, so we actually have live Spanish interpretation at two of the times. So invite them to either the 11 a.m. on Sunday or the 5 p.m. on Sunday. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Good to see you. Okay, wait. I don't think I knew all that. Which time is what again? <laughs> okay, I think I need to clarify something. Hey, Sawyer, do you have your camera here by chance? Yeah, why? Can you excuse me for just a minute? Hey, Valley, Summer here. Christmas Eve at Valley starts in less than a week, and we want you to have all the information for you and for you to invite others. Actually, could we put the words on the screen next to me? Oh, yeah, totally. Sweet, I think that'll help. Okay, here we go. All of our gatherings are identical. Same message, candlelight, the whole thing. Some of our gatherings have some bonus features, such as our morning gatherings, that's the 8.15, 9.30, and 11 o'clock, all have childcare for ages zero to three. Two of our gatherings have live Spanish interpretation. That's at 11 a.m. and 5 p.m. And our last bonus, that 11 p.m. is actually happening in the chapel. Same message, but you'll get acoustic worship. I really hope that helps to clarify everything because we can't wait to celebrate with you. And if your family is looking for a way to serve together on Christmas Eve, stop by guest services and we can get you plugged in. Oh, and one last thing. To stay up to date on information like this, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for joining us and have a Merry Christmas.
So when we talk about Christmas preparation, getting ready for Christmas, buying presents, putting up the tree, doing all the meetings, on a scale of one to 10, how are you in terms of getting ahead of the game? Or are you more of a procrastinator? So a one is like, you wait until the very last minute to do everything. And a 10 is like you were ready for Christmas in July. Okay, where are you on that scale of one to 10? You know, are you, wh wh where are you? Uh, just say, it, say the number out loud, right where you are, wherever you are, say it aloud. And everybody who's watching it with you, say it out loud. Okay, you got the number? I'm gonna give myself a solid five, okay? <laughs> okay, there's some stuff I'm way ahead of the game. There's other stuff I'm way behind in. For example, normally we put up our Christmas tree on the day after Thanksgiving, Friday, right after Thanksgiving, the tree goes up. And guys, I want to tell you about my tree. You know, I don't know if I'm you know, proud of this, but here's how we do our tree at our house. Uh, we have a tree, it's nicely decorated uh, and everything. And when we take the tree down, I went to Menards, I bought a gigantic, big roll of saran wrap and with all the lights and the ornaments still on the tree after Christmas is over, I wrap the entire tree around in saran wrap and then Isaac and I pick it up and carry it downstairs. Well, it will stay until the next year and we pull it back up and put it back and then we cut it and it's all ready to go. It takes about five minutes. So you're saying, uh, that's really lame, or that's amazing, I should do that. I don't know how you will respond to that, but that's what we do. Now here's the embarrassing part. We do not yet have our tree up this year. So much has been going on in our lives. So many things and opportunities and interruptions and all this kind of stuff. No problem, but we just haven't got the tree up yet. So hope, I hope there's no judgment here but that's where we are. We are in the Christmas spirit. We're filled with joy and peace and love and all that, but just haven't gotten the tree up yet. So please don't judge me, okay? <laughs> but where are you on that scale of one to 10? If you're still looking for gifts, um, I came across this kind of comedic trio that just talked about waiting until the very last minute to get your Christmas gift list completed and shopped for. Check it out. Phew, that's the last of the Christmas shopping done anyway. How'd you get on with yours? I haven't started yet. What do you mean you haven't started yet? It's the 23rd. Legends leave Christmas presents to last minute. Yeah, I'm just gonna go into town tomorrow and try and get everything. Tomorrow's Christmas Eve. Town is gonna be insane. It's gonna be incredible. Just a whole load of dudes walking around with the one efficient goal, understanding each other perfectly, moving in unison. It's kind of like the footage you see of those roundabouts in Indonesia, you know, where the cars and trucks are all weaving in and out of each other in imperfect yet seemingly chaotic harmony. It's kind of like that, but with legends. Yeah. So you're just gonna wander around town aimlessly, hoping to pick up whatever generic leftover presents there are? It's much more planned out than that. Do you even know what you're gonna get people? <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course. We're not that bad. Yeah, if it's a woman over 35, it's a candle. If it's a man, it's a toiletries gift set. Any other kind of like anomalies are pretty much covered off by your standard scarf, socks, chocolates. chocolates. I follow the glove system. The glove system? Mom, gardening gloves. Dad, golf gloves. Brother, gym gloves. Granny, oven gloves. Granddad, gloves. So you're basically just buying everybody gloves? It's the glove system. Well, they sound like terrible presents. <laughs> yeah, but that's the beauty of presents. I mean, the whole point of presents is that if someone doesn't like it, they're not allowed to say anything. Wow. And if it's Secret Santa, even better. They won't know it's you. Okay, let me try and help you. Just give it a rest, Gerald. No, no, like, look, take your mother, okay? I mean, she's learning French. Yeah. She's interested in art. She likes being warm and cozy. What would be something thoughtful and meaningful based around that? 
A candle? Not a candle. A voucher? Okay, a voucher for what? The candle shop. You're not even listening to me. I've got it. Okay. I could get her a set of those scented sticks you put in the bathroom. Genius. Yeah, and they sell them in the candle shop. Okay, you're not even trying. We don't have to try. One hour, one shop, I've got all the presents I need. You're unbelievable. Plus, if we forget anything, there's always the late night pharmacy. Bingo. I mean, they have everything. Candles, uh, toiletries, gift sets. Uh, tanning gloves, exfoliating gloves, latex gloves. You know what? I really regret spending so much time on your present now that I know I'm going to get some last minute generic crap in return. I would love to get you something thoughtful, would something you? specific to you, but you are so difficult to shop for. Am I? You don't say what you want, you're so vague, and I never have any idea what to get you in the pharmacy. Okay, hysterical. Just wait until the last minute and go to Walgreens is the moral of the story. Okay, whatever. Okay, so, but this has been Christmas Awareness Month at Valley Church. That's what we've called Advent because we want to be, as followers of Jesus, aware of Christmas. So hopefully it's been on your mind, not just about all the trimmings around Christmas, but what Christmas is really all about, the heart and soul of what Christmas is, and that's Jesus. And to be very aware of the opportunities we've, we have all around us. And we've talked about those opportunities to love, to invite, to share, to forgive. All those opportunities. People that would be totally close to the idea of Christmas are open in these seasons. If you just reach out to them and love them. And next weekend is Christmas Eve. So if you haven't already, get on it. Invite people to celebrate Christmas with us here at Valley Church at our Christmas Eve gatherings. We've got... 25,000 of them. You can pick one of those and you'll, you'll find one to get to. All right, seriously, we have seven gatherings Saturday night and then uh, six on a Sunday, apparently. So anyway, check it out and I know that you'll do that and, and you'll make other people aware of it and you'll invite and bring them. So today we come and we're coming down to the wire. We've got a week until Christmas, essentially. And we're, we're down to the last minute almost. And I want to catapult you back 2,000 years to a prison cell. It's a prison cell in probably in Ephesus, I think, about 100 miles from Colossae, where this letter of Colossians is being finished up. Paul has written this incredible letter to the believers there. He's down to the last few greetings. We covered those all last weekend and we're down to the last three verses of Colossians down to the wire Paul's about to send off at least two men and maybe other men and women with him with uh, with this letter to Colossae either from Ephesus a hundred miles away or maybe Rome a thousand miles away he's about ready to have his farewell to them and maybe they're all gathered there with Paul in prison, having this kind of Christmas family gathering, if you will. I don't know what time of year it was, but let's just imagine that. And Tychicus and Onesimus are about to be sent off. And there's Aristarchus, who's a fellow servant. There's, there's John Mark, who made this incredible, surprising comeback we talked about last weekend. There's Jesus, who's called Justice, Jesus the Righteous One. He, his name is Jesus, but he's not the, that Jesus. He's, he's, he's Justice, that's his Greek name. He's there with the Apostle Paul. There's Epaphras, who's actually the one who brought the gospel originally to Colossae and who's now with Paul there visiting him in prison. And he has said hello. And there's Luke, the physician, 
and there's Demas, who will later abandon him. But they're all together with Paul. He greets Nympha, who's at Laodicea, but there's eight people with Paul. They're down to the wire. We just got a few more things to share. And likely, Tychicus, who was Paul's uh, kind of secretary, who often wrote the letters of Paul as he dictated them to him. At this point, Paul takes the parchment from Tychicus, his faithful servant, who, who is going to take with him the letter to the Colossian church, Colossians. He's going to also take the letter of Philemon, and he is almost certainly also going to take the letter to the Ephesians. So he's taking three of the 27 books of the New Testament with him on this journey to Colossae. And Paul takes the parchment from him. And the last few words, now we're down to the wire, what is Paul going to say as he closes? And I think these are incredibly powerful for us. What he shares here are kind of the heart and soul. His heart is now deeply personal. And it's like, if you will, the Christmas letter, the last things he's going to write. It's, you have the, the letter that you wrote to everybody, but now you're going to write the, the, the kind of Christmas newsletter, but now you're going to write your last few things in handwriting at the end of the Christmas letter that's specialized. And that's what Paul does now. He says in uh, Colossians chapter 4, verse 16, after this letter, that's the letter to the Colossians, has been read at your gathering, have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Now, I'm going to give you today four kind of down-to-the-wire principles. As Christmas is just a week away, what are the four things that we come back to that are important to us that we need to be reminded of as we get right down to the wire last week, last minute, and they're incredibly important. They're actually important not just for Christmas, but for our entire Christian lives. And I hope you'll let these sink into your soul deeply as you celebrate the birth of Jesus, as you refocus and center awareness, building awareness of Jesus in your Christmas celebration here at Valley Church, wherever you are this Christmas season, with your family, with your friends, in your place of work, this these are important to your life, and especially at Christmas time. He says, read this letter at your gathering. So he's envisioning the church gathering in a place, probably uh, at the house of Philemon. They're gathering together, and he says, I want you, when you gather for worship, to read this letter. And then give it to the church down the road, 10 miles away, Laodicea, and they'll, you get the letter that I wrote them, and you read it there. There's so many things that I learned just from this kind of, it seems like kind of a throwaway verse, doesn't it? Just like, who, you know, whatever, instructions. It's like, you know, it's like the, you open up the box and it has all the warranty on it, all the instructions, which most of the time you just throw away. That's what you want to do with this verse. But no, there's more to it here. Because here's the principle I want to give to you. You need a foundation for your life. Write that down. You need a foundation for your life. And this is what he's telling them. This is what you're going to found the church upon. The Word of God. This is how you build your life. Read this letter in the Old Testament. Read the book of the law. Jeremiah. Eat this book. 
the Word of God, Old and New Testaments together. Read the letter, read the book, read the scriptures at Christmas time. We talked a few weeks ago. Read the story of Christmas. Matthew chapter 1, chapter 2. Luke chapter 1, chapter 2. Let it sink in. Now, when Paul is writing these letters, he is envisioning what will happen in their church gathering. And the apostles, as Peter and Paul and, and all the rest, who wrote the things that we now read as the New Testament, and those who associated with them, like Mark and like Luke, and the apostles, and Matthew, and then the other writers, James and others, they realized the apostolic authority that had been given to them. They're not ordinary people. They are, but God's Holy Spirit is filling them to guide the very words. Peter says we wrote them down as we were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The apostle realized that they were not just writing ordinary letters to friends when they wrote these words down that we read as Holy Scripture. They actually knew they were writing Scripture. It seems mind-blowing, but they knew this. They knew that God's Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and He's going to bring to your minds the words of truth, and you're to communicate them to the church for all ages. In fact, the Apostle Peter, on one occasion, refers to Paul's writings as Scripture. In 2 Peter, Paul is talking about uh, excuse me, Peter is, is writing to the, the people he's writing to, and he refers back to the things that Paul wrote in his letters. And he says, Paul speaks about these things, things mattering to salvation, in all his letters, referring to, you know, Colossians and Thessalonians and Romans and all that. There are some things hard to understand in them. Yeah, Paul writes deep stuff sometimes. The untaught and the unstable will twist them to their own destruction as they also do with the rest of the scriptures. Did you see what happened here? Paul, the, the apostle Peter now is going to do something amazing here. He is going to equate Paul's letters right here with the rest of the what? Scriptures. Do you understand that? They understood that what they were writing to us was not just Christmas letter from your friend. This was Scripture itself. Okay, you with me? So that's why we gather around the letters. That's why we spend, this is our 17th week in Paul's letter to the Colossians. Because he said, read this letter at your gathering. And that's what we're doing. And that's what we do at, at Valley Church. And that's what you should do in your home. Read the Scriptures. And then he says, read the letter from the Laodicea which is most likely the letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians was a circular letter, and um, even though it says Laodiceans here, it probably just had a title, and then people wrote in, Ephesus, the main, uh, the main church of, the, of that area, was the one that it got attached to, but it actually circulated, and Laodicea is most likely the church, the letter to the Ephesians. So maybe that's the next thing we'll study. We'll see, all right? But we should read that letter to the, uh, letter to the Ephesians. We don't have, if there was a different letter, Laodiceans, that's lost to history. At Valley Church, we are committed at all times to the reading and the exposition, the explaining of the meaning of Scripture and applying it to our daily lives. We are unashamedly committed to the Scriptures. We love the Bible. Because we believe the Bible is God's Word and it has truth to communicate us to, through all ages. It's still relevant today. In fact, that's one of the things I love. The relevancy of, of Scripture. In other words, 
even though this letter of Colossia, to the Colossians was not written to us, it was written to a church at Colossae in the first century, it was written for us. And just like he said, when you guys get done, swap letters between Laodicea and Colossae and read them. So swap Colossians and Ephesians and read to each other. Because the relevancy, what I wrote to this church has relevancy to you and vice versa. So as 2,000 years later, we're a church gathered around and we're still reading this. And Christmas is a great time to refamiliarize yourself. And the new year to refamiliarize yourself with all the scriptures. We are committed to the word of God. And you know, on one occasion, I love uh, in Nehemiah um, chapter 8, verse 8, they explained how they taught the people. It's one of the rare glimpses we get into the gathering of God's people around scriptures. And they gathered everybody together. Come on, come on together. We're going to read the law of God to you. And here's what it says. They read, notice this, they read out of the book of the law of God. That's the scriptures. Translating it, they didn't understand it in Hebrew. They translated it into their local dialect so everybody would get it. Everybody would understand it. And then here's what they did. They were giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was read. In other words, they do what we do. And we're still doing what they did thousands of years ago. You read the scriptures. That's why we read these verse by verse through the scriptures. And then we give the meaning. Not just the literal meaning of it. Of course, we do that. We also explain the relevance of it. How does this uh, impact us on our everyday life? How does it practically get lived out? How does this truth transform your life? So Christmas is a great time to just let the Christmas story. I was sitting the other day in, in a movie theater. They had a, a scripturally based movie. It's The Chosen at Christmas. And they were just telling the Christmas story and read portions of the scripture. And I just sat there and I said, the story of Christianity is so amazing. The story of Christmas is so amazing. It's so superior to anything you'll ever hear in any other place. It's amazing. The Word of God is amazing. And if we just let it speak to us, it will transform us. It is the foundation. So go back to the principle here of verse uh, 16. The principle is you and I, we need a foundation for our lives. When everything else, Colossians had all those challenges too. Remember, we talked about it all the time. There's false teachers here. There's all these temptations that they're facing off in their culture. There's all the, the worldviews that are competing with them. There's all the religious ideas that are contrary to Christianity. 2,000 years ago and now. And we're shaken by that if we're not careful. But fortunately, we have a foundation. The Word of God, the Scriptures. And the, if we stand on the Word of God, we have a foundation. We have some place to stand. When all the opinions are flying around, we come back to Scripture and it's something to build our lives on. And I love it that every once a year, we come back in our culture. In our culture, we're blessed to, to experience at least some nod to the birth of Jesus Christ. Oh yeah, it may get lost in a lot of other things that are competing with it and all the crazy cultural stuff and trappings and myths and legends and so forth. And some of them good and some of them bad. Yeah, but at the bottom of it all, if we're aware of it, remember we talked about Christmas Awareness Month, very beginning of this month uh, of December. Um, we said, let's get aware of it. Let's not forget what Christmas is all about. Let's not, let's not forget what the scriptures actually teach. So you've been doing that. The foundation is simple. We gather around Scripture. At Valley Church, we unapologetically gather around Scriptures. Let me tell you this. Nobody gathers here on Sundays or any other time 
to hear what Quentin thinks about this. What are Quentin's opinions about this? Nobody's gathering to hear my opinions. Occasionally, my wife will listen to my opinions. But what people want to hear is what does God say about these things? What does His Word say? And I'm just a messenger. I'm just, I'm just a mail carrier. Let me read the letter of Colossians and deliver it to you. Explain the meaning like they did back in Ezra and Nehemiah's day. And that's all I'm doing. And, and parents and grandparents and friends, that's what you do. You gather around Scripture. That's why it's important to gather in person. So we come together as God's people and we hear together and we, we're in life groups and we, we share insights with one another because we're gathering around Scripture. We're not gathering around politics. We're not gathering around uh, ideas, human ideas. We're not gathering around philosophies. We're not gathering around current events. We're gathering around Scripture. And at Christmas time, we're gathering around that story of Jesus and His birth, and the miracle, the incarnation. It's just absolutely an amazing story. So we gather around Scripture, and I love that we have Christmas because we can come back to the great story of the greatest miracle of Jesus, who was the, the eternal Son of God. And through the miracle of Christmas, He took on human flesh for us. He became one of us in the humblest of settings. We're going to remember that and celebrate that on Christmas Eve. Hope you can be there with us. But I'm telling you, that's what we do as a church. And when we have that foundation of gathering around Scripture as a church, as families, as life groups, as friends, here's what happens to us. Here's what happens to me and to you. We can say with confidence, if I have that foundation and gather around Scripture in my daily life, I will be unshakable. Nothing shakes me. Nothing rattles me. No matter what happens, no matter what crisis comes, no matter what all the pundits are saying, not, no matter what the social media feed says, no what the news source says, it doesn't matter. My life is unshakable. No matter what circumstances I face, I'm building my life upon the foundations of the Scriptures. And I'm unshakable. You want to be, have an unshakable life? You want to be able to face whatever life throws at you? Then gather around Scripture and you'll have a foundation that cannot be shaken. No matter what earthquakes hit your life. And by the way, there would be earthquakes that would hit Colossae. And a lot of life would be lost there. But those who trusted in Jesus had a life that would never be taken away from them. They had a foundation that was unshakable. Okay, keep going. He's, he's writing, he's down to the wire. He's writing the last few th words. Verse 17, And tell Archippus, pay attention to the ministry you have received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. Now, you know, I don't know whether to feel sorry for Archippus or to feel happy for him because I don't know exactly the tone of this, what he's telling him. It could be that he's saying, Archippus, God's given you so much. He, he wants you to use your gifts. Get in there. Get, you can do it. I know you can do it. He, he's trying to build his confidence up. Um, that's one possibility. And he's like, you know, don't forget what God's given you. You can do it, man. Just pay attention to the ministry you've received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. I know you can do it. There's another possibility, and maybe there's a little bit of both, where he's saying, hey, Archippus, maybe he needs a little bit of, you know, kick in the pants. Like, you kind of forgot about what we asked you to do, what God's called you to do. 
Here, here it is. Here's the key word here in this, uh, in this phrase here. Let me give it to you. It's this one. You with me? Pay attention. Pay attention. <laughs> in, in, in most jobs, I don't care if you're an accountant, I don't care if you're a lawyer, I don't care if you're a custodian, I don't care if you're a teacher, I don't care if you're raising kids, I don't, I don't know what your job is, what your work is, what your calling is, what your ministry is. Pay attention. <laughs> like, what are you supposed to do here? What's God called you to do? And of course, he says, pay attention to the ministry you have received in the Lord. Now, I think our Chippas had a specific job to do. I don't know what it was in the church at Colossae, and it might have been, you know, helping in the widow ministry, uh, caring for orphans and widows. I, I, maybe that was it. Maybe it was some other responsibility he'd been given. But he's saying, pay attention to the ministry. This word ministry, we sometimes get it confused because we think it's like, uh, like ordained clergy. No such thing in the first century church. They didn't have those kind of categories or distinctions. It's just serving the Lord. Everybody had a ministry. Not just the pastors of the church. Pastoral ministry was one ministry. But there was ministry of helps and serving and teaching and administering and leading. There was ministry to young people. There was ministry to the poor. There was ministry uh, behind the scenes. There was ministry of all kinds of ministries. And we have those all proliferated at Valley Church as well. All sorts of opportunities. God's gifted you and shaped you with your personality, with your experiences, with, with your own giftedness, with your abilities. And, and, and the things that you have learned over, over how long God's, ever, God's been alive in you. But you've got this ministry. You've got something in you that God's given to you. You've received it in the Lord. It's a gift. He's going to pay attention to that. Don't forget about how God wired you, the experience He's gave, given to you. And here at Christmas time, there's still time. You've got a week left. Did you forget about what we talked about last weekend? Where we said, really? All those things that we talked about, about getting after it. Uh, about appreciating the people in your life who've done something for you. We said, message your friends. Did you forget about that? Don't forget about that. Pay attention to that. That's a ministry that you can have. And whether it's a specialized ministry in one area or just this whole idea of serving Jesus through his church. Paul says, I'm a servant of Jesus. I've been called to be a servant to serve the movement, the assembled people of God, the church. From this scripture, we all need what? Focus. Focus. Pay attention, Archippus. Pay attention. Brandon, pay attention. Susan, pay attention. Charlie, whatever your name is. Who, who are you? Pay attention to what God's called you to do with the gifts and abilities you've had. And there's still time. We're down to the wire. Maybe there's been a little wandering from your dedication or devotion to Jesus. Maybe there's been a little wandering in involvement in using your gift and ability in the life of the church. Maybe you've forgotten about that during the Christmas season because you forgot about the people around you and you're like, you know, oh wait, I, I could serve somebody. Ex message my friends, I could love somebody. What is it that you need to refocus on this Christmas time? And the reason you pay attention and the reason you, you, you remember the gift that God's given to you is so that you can serve the church. I'm not talking about, it could be formally serve the church in some specific role, and we want everybody at Valley Church to have one of those regular roles, but also this informal way of just your neighbors, your friends, your community, 
at work, wherever it is. Serve Jesus there. Serve the movement of Jesus called the church. Keep this movement advancing forward. Get the word out about Jesus. Invite people to Christmas Eve. Whatever it is, focus on that. Don't forget about your calling in life. Because, you know, you may be a plumber, but you're not just an everyday, ordinary plumber. You are an ordained plumber. God has ordained you to be a part of His church, to serve the movement of Jesus, the church, and the Lord, the Lord of the church. By the way, when we serve the church, we're not excluding Jesus, because last I heard, Jesus is the head of the church, of the body. So when we say the church, we say Jesus and the movement that He has, and the people that He has, he has moved to, 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 uh, to, to change and transform this world. And when we do that, when we focus and say, I'm going to get this done. We're down to the wire. I'm gonna, this is going to be important to me. What is it? When we do that, we say, I will be undistracted. I'm not distracted by other, other things that could capture my focus and attention. Temptations that would, could get me off course. Indulging in things that really don't matter. Wasting time on this getting selfish, diving. You never do this online? I'll admit it, I have. You go Google something you're looking for and then you find something interesting and then you find something another interesting and then you go and you keep going down these rabbit holes until suddenly you are uh, learning about Slovakian tennis players and it's like, how did I get there? It happens. Focus, people. <laughs> come back. Come back. Let's figure out what God's called us to do. And even before Christmas and then into the new year, what thing has God called us to be focused upon? What way can you advance the kingdom of Jesus? Maybe it's through your generosity. We're talking about your end gift. Everybody's given a year end gift because they want to advance the kingdom of Jesus. How are you praying about that? Focus. Focus. Don't forget don't be distracted. There's so many things can get me distracted. I know you're like me. You get distracted very easily. <laughs> Let's focus. What really matters? What will be people care about? What will you care about at the end of your life? It'll be about Jesus and how you loved people and how you helped advance his kingdom and what difference you made in life. Okay, keep going. He says, verse 18, I, Paul, am writing this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Now, here's an interesting thing. He says, I'm writing this greeting with my own hand. Remember all those greetings we looked at last weekend? These are written with his own hand. So he wrote everybody's name out with his own hand so people could see his handwriting. You know, he's saying, this is how you know it's legitimate. This is not some fake thing. It's from me. You can recognize my handwriting. He was there. He, he, he was well known. People could spend time with him. Onesibus. Um, Philemon, they, they all knew Paul. And they could, they could say, yeah, that's his, his handwriting. It's kind of like when you sign a check. That's your really your signature. I remember one time um, at the bank that I banked here in, in uh, Des Moines for 33 years. One time um, I got a call from the bank. I, I don't get calls from the bank very often. You'll be happy to hear that. But I got a call from the bank. And they said, hey, did you write a letter, or excuse me, did you write a check back when we wrote checks? Um, and to such and such store for $163 or something? And, and they said, I said, uh, yes, I actually did. And they said, well, your, your signature just looked really funky and like, it didn't look like your signature. 
wait a minute. They actually check that stuff. Apparently somebody's looking. I don't know. There's some, I'm sure there's some kind of AI program that does this all for them now. But I said, oh yeah, actually, I actually remember what I was doing there. And I was actually, there was no counter to write on. So I was actually writing this check on my knee and it got scribbled and I dropped the check or something. So it's it looked more like a scribble and says, okay, okay. We just want to make sure it was legitimate. That's what Paul's doing here. I'm writing this screen with my own hand. You can check it. It's real. This is me. <laughs> Tis I. In Thessal uh, Second Thessalonians, he writes it this way: I, Paul, am reading this, writing this greeting with my own hand, which is an authenticating mark in every letter. This is how I write. You know this. You've received other letters from me. Paul wrote a lot of letters, and they circulated around to the churches. And they could all tell this is from Paul. Because there's a lot of fakers out there. There's a lot of false teachers out there who pretenders. And he just wanted to know this legitimately from me. I'm writing this greeting with my own hand. And then he says something interesting. He says, remember my chains. It's kind of a poignant way, isn't it? To end this, this letter. If you will, he comes to the end of his Christmas letter. And he says, remember my chains. I think there was a lot of reasons why he wrote those three words. I think he wanted them to not forget about him. You know, he's a human being. Yeah, he's the Apostle Paul, but he's still a human being. And he's suffering for Jesus because he's gotten arrested and he's been put in prison for his Christian faith for no criminal act on his, his, but just because he was preaching the gospel. He says, don't forget about me. When you're all celebrating and lighting the candles and having the meals together and I'm not there, don't forget about me. I love you. I care about you. I wrote all these things for you. I've dedicated my life to Jesus. Just... Remember my chains. I think it's, it's a way for him to express a request for prayer. It's just a prayer request. Remember my chains. He, 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 didn't, he wasn't saying, oh, poor me, I'm poor. You know, Paul, he was used to being in prison. But he was a human being and he wanted them to pray. Pray, pray for my release. Pray for God to show his grace in my life. Pray for the gospel to continue to advance. Remember my chains. And honestly, we should remember the cost that was paid for the, by the apostles, the price that was paid by the martyrs through the ages, the price that was paid by persecuted Christians today in our world. They're persecuted church all over the world. We get to gather together in public, very openly, free to worship. But there are Christians all over this globe that they're in chains. They're literally in prison for Jesus. And there are persecuted, our brothers and sisters around the globe who are paying a steep, steep price and they're hurting and suffering this Christmas. Let's remember them too. Pray for the persecuted perch. Pray for the people that have given um, their, their freedom so that the gospel would advance in their own places. Pray, remember their chains. The other thing I think is, is done through this is that there, it's, a, it's a way of reminding all of us. And here's the principle I want to get to. And that is we not only need um, a foundation and we need focus. We also need perspective. This is, we need perspective. 
sometimes we get kind of caught up in our own little world and our little snow globe experience and we think this is what Christianity is all about and we need to step back and say this is it's it's deeper and it's it's more costly Jesus said if anyone would come after me let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me there's a cost to following Jesus there's a price to be paid some actually pay with their own freedom some pay with their own lives but all of us pay in some way. There's a cost to following Jesus. And it's a way, it's a subtle way, but it's a way to remind the Colossian Christians 2,000 years ago and the Christians all around the Des Moines metro who gather here and hear these, these words 2,000 years later read to us, written from a prison cell. Remember the cost. That's the, that's the principle. Remember the cost. It'll cost you too. And sometimes I need that perspective. I'm going through a hard time or this happens or, or it's hard to be a follower of Jesus or this temptation comes. Remember the cost. Remember the price that was paid through Jesus on the cross for your sins. Remember the cost when Jesus humbled himself and became one of us at Christmas. Remember Christmas led to Calvary. Remember the price that was paid and remember the cost. Jesus says, pick up that cross and follow me. We need to be reminded that following Jesus means suffering and loss of freedom sometimes, and oppression, and fighting against our own sins, and temptation, and flesh. It means sometimes the end of convenience. We can't just do what's comfortable. We do what's hard. We do hard things. Sometimes it's saying farewell to the things that have been precious to us that we know we need to abandon. Because it's pleasurable doesn't mean it's right. Sometimes it means we have to embrace opposition and even oppression from a hostile culture. Sometimes it means the end of comfort. The cross has, as somebody said, the cross has no comfort zones. <laughs> there are no comfort zones on a cross. But we never give way to despair. We're not despairing. We're suffering, but we're not despairing. Paul, there's no words here of just panic or um, woe is me. It's just remember. Remember that it's sometimes hard to follow Jesus. Just being honest. I think in a more general way, it's also good to just remember everybody who's hurting at Christmas time for us. Yeah, they may not be in prison for their faith, but they're going through a hard time. Maybe there's a job loss. Maybe they lost a loved one. Maybe they're going through a health crisis. Maybe they've been abandoned. Maybe they just don't have enough. Maybe there's some friction in their family. Maybe there's abuse. Maybe there's heartache and worry and loneliness, whatever it might be. Maybe there's physical suffering. I don't know what it is, but they're hurting. And everybody around them they think is happy and, and maybe they're not happy or maybe they're suffering. Maybe you are. God remembers you and as a church of Jesus, we want to remember those who are hurting at Christmas time. So Paul's word, remember my chains, is a good word for the very practical, specific situation, but it's also broadened out. Just remember people who, maybe they're not chained literally, but there's some chains, there's some losses there, there's some difficulties they're, they're chafing under. Remember the hurting and show them kindness and love and certainly pray for them. And when we remember the cost and when we gain perspective, 
What happens to me, I can say honestly, I will be what? Undaunted. No matter what the, the, the challenges that are coming into my life, and who knows what will come in 2024, no matter all the hills and valleys that I might face, no matter what deprivations or blessings that I may receive, I will be undaunted in my faith. I will keep following Jesus because my life is founded in the Scriptures, as we said before. I have focus on the ministry that God's given to me and to you. And I have perspective that it sometimes costs me something to follow Jesus. One person, David, said on one occasion when he was about to ready to offer a great offering to the Lord, and somebody says, I'll just give you this so you can offer it to the Lord. And he said, I will not uh, offer burnt sacrifices to the Lord, which cost me nothing. That's not an offering to the Lord. I will be undaunted in my courage, in my generosity, in my serving, in my faith and loyalty to Jesus Christ. This Christmas and then the year to come. And then finally, he, finds, he signs off with just these words. This is the last words in his own handwriting. Can you imagine holding that letter in that prison cell and then taking it to the Church of Colossae and then opening up and reading it and landing at these words. The last words are, grace be with you. Grace, God's unmerited, favor, His kindness, His love, grace, His amazing grace given to us in Jesus. Paul has been writing. We've been 17 weeks in this letter. He's been writing about the grace of Jesus, the awesomeness of Jesus, the kindness and patience and long-suffering of God and how we clothe ourselves, remember? Clothe ourselves with what? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and love. It's been all about grace. It's been all about grace. And just as Paul understands that he has been a conduit, a channel of the grace of God through the words of Scripture that he is literally writing down and communicating to them, he's given grace to them. Then he says, grace be with you. Not just grace to you through these words, but God's grace be with you all that grace, all that kindness. There's a lot of things that God has called us to believe, to become, to obey, and to do through the last 17 weeks in this book. And here's a little secret. I can't do any of it on my own. I can't believe it. I can't obey it. I can't become it. I can't do it on my own. I need His what? I need His grace. And through all the difficulties of life, even my own weakness, remember Paul said, my grace, he's quoted God saying, God saying to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So in all my weakness of wanting to follow Jesus, I find my strength in grace, God's unmerited, unbelievable love, kindness toward me his forgiveness through the cross of jesus christ that's where i find my strength so i don't just need a foundation i don't just need focus i don't just need perspective last thing i need and you need 
is that we need strength. And His strength will come to us as we trust His grace. In and of ourselves, we burn out, we flame out, we wander, we get tired, we want to throw in the towel, we want to hold grudges, we want to be stingy. When God's grace shows up, we find our strength in His grace and we trust His grace. Then what I find out is I will be what? Unstoppable. Nothing can stop me now. Nothing can stop you now. If you are trusting in His grace, you can fulfill every God, God's gracious plan for you in your life. There's no challenge you can't face. And I don't know what you're going through this Christmas. It may be the highest, most wonderful time of your life and of the year, or it may be your lowest valley or somewhere in between. Whatever it is, we're going to need His grace to do it. And when you seek and find His grace in the pages of Scripture and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I will be unstoppable. We're down to the wire, guys. We need a foundation. We gather around Scripture. We need a focus. We serve the church. We need perspective. Remember the cost. And we need a strength to trust His grace. I close with this. The words of an author. He wrote an article called Christmas is for those, for those who hate it most. He says we are now, by now, accustomed to hearing about how Christmas is difficult for many people. The story of Scrooge and his <clears throat> problems with this season are no longer anecdotal. It is now par for the course. Maybe it has always been this way. Maybe the joy of the season has always been a thorn in the side of those who scarcely can imagine joy. Not too long ago, I heard from someone how, about how difficult Christmas would be because of some heartbreak in their family. There was utter hopelessness and devastation. Christmas would be impossible to enjoy because of the freshness of this pain. It's been a story hard to forget. And as a pastor, I can relate to that. I've heard those stories within the last few days. I get it. I mean, he says, it makes sense on the level of Christmas being a time in which there's a lot of heavily concentrated family time. The holidays can be tense and even the best of circumstances. Maneuvering through the landmines of various personalities can be hard even if there is no cancer, divorce, or empty seat at the table. What makes it the most wonderful time of the year is also what makes it the most brutal time of the year. My own family has not been immune to this phenomenon, he writes, and I can vouch for. But allow me, he says, to push back against this idea just a little, gently. I think we have it all backwards. We have it sunk deep into our collective cultural consciousness that Christmas is for happy people. You know, those with idyllic family situations enjoyed around stocking-strewn hearth dreams. Christmas is for healthy people who laugh easily and at all the right times, right? The successful and the beautiful who live in suburban bliss can easily enjoy the holidays. They've not... Got, they've not gotten lost along the way because of the GPS they got last year. They are beaming after watching a Christmas classic curled up on a couch as a family in front of their ginormous flat screen. We live and act as if this is who should be enjoying Christmas. But this is backwards, my friends. Christmas, the great story, the incarnation of the rescuer, is for everyone, especially those who need a rescue. Jesus was born as a baby to know the pain and sympathize with our weakness. Jesus was made to be like us so that in his resurrection we could be made like him, free from fear of death and from the pain of loss. Jesus' first recorded worshipers were not of the beautiful class. They were poor. They were ugly shepherds. 
beat down by life and by labor, and they have been looked down on over many a nose. Jesus came for those who look in the mirror and see only ugliness. Jesus came for daughters whose fathers never told them they were beautiful. Christmas is for those who go to wing night all alone. Christmas is for those whose lives have been wrecked by cancer, and the thought of another Christmas seems like an impossible dream. Christmas is for those who would be nothing but lonely if not for social media. Christmas is for those whose marriages have careened against the retaining wall and are threatening to flip over the edge. Christmas is for the son whose father keeps giving him hunting gear and what he wants is art materials. Christmas is for smokers who cannot quit even in the face of a death sentence. Christmas is for prostitutes, adulterers, and porn stars who long for love in every wrong place. Christmas is for college students who are sitting in the midst of the family and already cannot wait to get out for another drink. Christmas is for those who traffic in failed dreams. Christmas is for those who have squandered the family name and fortune and they want home but cannot imagine a glorious reception, a gracious welcome. Christmas is for parents watching their children's marriage fall into disarray. Christmas is really about, all about the grace of God for sinners. Because of all that Christ has done on the cross, the manger becomes the most hopeful place in a universe darkened with hopelessness. And in the irony of all ironies, Christmas is for those who will find it the hardest to enjoy. Christmas really is for those who hate it most. Father, we thank you for Jesus, your son, who gave it Christmas. We thank you for your servant, Paul, who penned the words of us to read through his letter 2,000 years ago. And the truths of it and the grace that is in it just transform us yet today, 2,000 years again. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus, the word made flesh. He dwell among us. And we thank you for Christmas, even when it's hard. We thank you for the glory and the miracle of it all, because in that message, we have a redeemer, a rescuer. And we give him all the glory. And everybody agreed and said, amen and amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you very, very soon for Christmas Eve.